Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and we are super thrilled. I am a complete fangirl of Vi Simpson, a former state senator and a former uh, candidate for governor and all kinds of other wonderful um, positions she has played in Indiana government over the past decades. Uh, and of course, we want to acknowledge this as Women's History Month. Uh, but I'm not interested in going too far back in history because the future is where it's at. And I want to talk today about uh, women's place in the Democratic Party and in government. So I want to ask you, uh, so first of all, welcome. Bye. Thank you for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Uh, so, oh, this is just a thrill for me. So, um, and I, so I want to ask you, you know, given that we see on an international level, the success of women in government and their efficiency, their, their intelligence and their well running of government. Um, we know that women uh, do a good job, uh, but here in the United States, our government has just been kind of infected with this uh, testosterone filled uh, game of, of bullying and doubling down and say whatever you want, insult whoever you want um, sort of culture. And so I want to hear from you about what you think about women's place in government, how women govern, and how women can play a bigger part of politics in Indiana. Well, that's a lot. <laughs> Sorry. That's a whole mouthful of uh, questions. And, um, but let me begin by saying, first of all, that, um, that, uh, we need more women in government. We need them at the local level. We need them at the state level. We certainly need them in Congress. Um, and, uh, and there's a reason that we need more women because women do govern differently than men. My experience has been that women are much more collaborative. Um, they care more about the end result as opposed to, um, as opposed to who gets the credit um, they tend to be willing to walk across party lines, uh, walk across that aisle to get things done. And, um, and they're, uh, they're more interested in compromise uh, because you, you know when you get into a legislative body at any level, whether it's local or state or federal, that the whole process of legislation revolves around compromise, negotiating and compromise. And we've moved away from that, by the way. It is almost um, a sin, it's a bad thing to be willing to compromise uh, because people interpret it these days as compromising your principles, which of course it isn't. That's how you get things done. And I don't think I ever introduced a piece of legislation and I did a lot of legislation. Um, I don't think I ever introduced a piece of legislation that didn't get better as the process went on, as I got feedback from Democrats, from Republicans, from the governor's office, um, and so forth, uh, from, from constituents. It, uh, it's always an evolving kind of process. It's not like following a recipe and, um, and you know, the bread gets baked. It's not like that at all, because you, you seek input at least we used to seek input and then the legislation would, would improve for the most part. And if it didn't, you could always drop it and move on to something else or wait until the next year. But uh, politics has changed a lot in Indiana. It certainly has changed at the national level. And, um, and that kind of uh, uh, willingness to collaborate, willing to, willingness to learn from one another to treat each other with respect. Uh, and even though you might disagree, you have to respect that that person is representing the viewpoints of many people, um, even if it's not your viewpoint. And uh, we've moved away from that. And we've moved more to my way or the highway kind of uh, philosophy. And, um, and I think there are some reasons for that uh, that we can talk about, we can explore later. Um, you also asked about uh, how women should get into politics and how we get more of them into government. Well, you don't you don't get into government if you don't run for it. And so, you know, my 
what I've been doing since my retirement a few years ago is, um, is trying to encourage women uh, to run, uh, encourage them, recruit them for offices, try to give them as much support as possible. Um, it isn't always possible, but, it's, um, but we try. And, um, and along those lines, I'm, I've been on the board of directors of Hoosier Women Forward, uh, Emerging Leaders, um, both of which uh, seek to, um, to teach people uh, to believe in themselves, raise their level of confidence as well as their, uh, their levels of knowledge in, in many different areas. Um, I'm also a charter member of the Democrat Women's Caucus here in Bloomington, um, which started ooh, about 15 years ago because a few of us got together and decided uh, there's just, there are just no women um, in public office. There were very few and we need to do something about that. And so um, now there are lots of women in Bloomington holding public office. Yeah. So we've been very successful, although somewhat controversial at times, but um, you, can't, you can't make change if you're not willing to take the risks. Um, so risks of upsetting people once in a while, risks of putting your name on the ballot, which is a very scary endeavor for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, there are a lot of risks that you have to take. You have to be willing to take, but in the end, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's not only worth it for, um, for the state and, uh, or the governmental body to which you, uh, might get elected, but it's also worth it per, on a very personal level because, uh, I can't think of anything in my life other than raising my children has been, that has been more rewarding than serving the people of, uh, Senate district 40. Well, yeah, I think one of the other things that I'd like to ask you about too is really the accountability issue. Um, in, the, in the current state, because of gerrymandering, um, non-competitive uh, districts, uh, we've ended up with incumbents who just cannot be beaten. Um, I, and I don't wanna, I shouldn't say that because we will and we can, um, but it has led to this just complete lack of accountability. Um, you know, legislation that is just completely hypocritical. I mean, doesn't even, you know, doesn't even jive with your principles. Um, you know, I, you know, I, this, I, here's an example. You know, we need to take all restrictions off of gun ownership uh, because this constitutional right to own a gun cannot be restricted in any way. Uh, and yet we're certainly, you know, pretty happy to put all kinds of restrictions on other other constitutional rights, you know, your right to abortion, your right to free speech. I mean, how about the legislation that wanted to criminalize peaceful protesting? Uh, you know, you know, political speech is, you know, at least in my legal education, the most protected form of speech, um, yes. but not in Indiana, they want to criminalize it. So, uh, so and, and these principles don't even jive with one another. They're just not even on the same page. So tell me a little bit about, about your experience in, um, in the legislature and in, uh, about the current legislature um, in terms of accountability and what we need to do to keep them more accountable. There is no accountability anymore. And so uh, the le members of the legislature, particularly those in the supermajority, but also some in the minority, I might add, um, have, have live in these safe gerrymandered districts and they don't have to be accountable. For, let me give you an example. Um, the League of Women Voters and uh, let's see, the Chamber of Commerce co-sponsor, co-host a uh, town hall kind of town meeting for area legislators. Uh, no, none of the Republicans show up. They don't even come to Bloomington because they don't have to, because Bloomington was gerrymandered in such a way that it was all of Monroe County for that matter, was split up into so many house districts that they don't have to pay any attention. They can win outside of Monroe County and, uh, and, and keep the seat. And they know that they can. So often they aren't even challenged. They don't have opponents or if they have opponents there, the opponents are underfunded. 
um, um, perhaps undertrained um, and, and certainly ignored by the powers that be in Indianapolis to the extent that, um, that it's very difficult to run a significant uh, comprehensive race uh, against an a, a Republican incumbent in the legislature. So yeah, there's, there's very little accountability with this exception. And that is that, you, that they fear, they don't fear running against Democrats, they fear running and be, being primaried by, by someone farther to the right, which accounts in my opinion for the, um, for the movement of the legislature away from the middle, away from the moderate voices um, uh, who used to be able to get together and, and, um, and come to agreement to find solutions for problems. They have moved now to so far to the right that they get crazy legislation like the ones you're talking about that will that they know will be challenged in court um, that they that they should know are probably unconstitutional um, and uh, and I, I think in my in my own opinion gerrymandering and the lack of redistricting reform in Indiana like some states have have successfully accomplished. Um, is the original sin of Indiana. It is, it is the basis of all evil in, uh, in Indiana. All the bad ideas, all the bad legislation comes about because, because there is no accountability. And, um, and so, so the, the result, not only is the legislature run, running to the right as fast as it can, but the result um, in terms of voters is that many voters are disenfranchised. I mean, they, why vote? You know, my vote's not going to count, but because it's a um, an eighty percent or a seventy percent Republican district. So um, it's a even though I do believe that there are a majority of Democrats living in Indiana. Um, perhaps some of them are not registered to vote, or if they are registered to vote, they're not voting. Um, because they don't, they feel helpless. And because we have this great use, really smart use, I guess, um, if morality and integrity doesn't enter into it, the smart use of computers in order to figure out how to draw your household. They know how your household votes so they can draw a line around your household if they want to and put you in any district they, they choose as long as it's contiguous excuse me, as long as it's contiguous. So it's, um, it's a mess, it's a mess. And, um, and unfortunately it can't be changed without the legislature itself changing what keeps them all in power. And uh, the only thing that, that would make them change it is if the public understands the problem and rises up to, ma to make them change it. And, um, and as much as I rant and rave about this issue, uh, I, I haven't seen much indication that that's going to change this year. All right, well, I am going to suggest a little, you know, a peak of hope, a little, uh, you know, a little spark that there is some hope <laughs> because I do believe it. I, you know, we are, I guess you and I and uh, all Democrats, you can't help it just like environmentalists in this, uh, in this environment. Uh, you can't help but be optimistic. Otherwise, you know, there's nothing. You so, quit. <laughs> so I'm going to suggest just some 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 opportunities. Uh, one of them is the uh, hundreds of thousands of Hoosiers who were either uh, not registered uh, or were registered and didn't vote. Um, that turns out to be hundreds of thousands. And uh, many of those people who were registered and didn't vote come from the urban areas. So again, like you say, people are disenfranchised because they don't see any reason to vote because you know they won't win. But their vote does, um, you know, does impact larger races. And uh, if those people had voted, they may still not have won their district, but we may have elected uh, Biden. We may Indiana might have gone for Biden. So a much larger district um, is impacted, even by um, even by votes. You know, when you might not. Uh, and, achieve a victory in a small area. They so might the, also, 
impact local races. You're right. And so, um, you know, although people might be voting in order to change the state Senate, for instance, uh, or, or voting in a, uh, a House of Representatives uh, or a congressional race, um, the fact that they're there, even if they lose that race, they might have an impact on some of the local races that are running at the same time or, or a statewide race. So yeah, it's very, very important. And I think we all ought to be optimistic because we saw what happened in Georgia um, right. and the results of the 2020 election in Georgia, which shows how a red state can turn blue um, with um, with certain incentives. And um, one of the things that I would like to see the Democrat party in Indiana do is um, we, we don't need uh, another Stacey Abrams. I don't mean to imply that because there are lots of Stacey Abrams all over the state of Indiana. Uh, lots of women particularly doing the hard work that it takes to win an election. Um, what we, what the state party needs to do, I believe, is figure out ways to bring all of those people together. Um, and that maybe there are people who are working for issues like um, Mothers Against, um, or Mothers, yeah, Mothers Moms, for- Moms Demand Action. Right. <laughs> right. And um, environmental groups and um, pro-public education groups that don't identify Democrat or Republican necessarily, but they know that changing, making changes in certain districts around the state or certain con congressional districts will can make a difference overall. And so bringing all of those people together, which is exactly what Stacey Abrams did. She went into the neighborhoods, went into the small towns, into rural areas, as well as urban areas, um, and worked with those existing groups, made sure that funds, resources, people resources got funneled to those existing groups on the ground. And uh, she coordinated it. She became the face of it and helped raise the money for it. <clears throat> and I think we can do that in Indiana. I do, because I believe that there are neighborhoods, neighborhood groups, community groups all over the state of Indiana who are doing uh, the groundwork that uh, needs to be done. But somebody needs to step forward and coordinate it and, right. and force that collaboration and give them the resources so that they can continue to do it. And I, I believe that we can start picking people off one at a time. I'm gonna be anxious to see if, they, if, if there's any change in the districts going forward for redistricting that, that is due in the fall, um, if, which will occur for the next 10 years. Um, I don't know. I don't know if they'll be able to make those districts much worse than they are now. Um, they may have to redraw some of the lines where population has grown and so forth. But uh, I can't believe they're going to be much worse. And so I believe that if we're able to to pool our resources, uh, collaborate and cooperate with people who are already on the ground doing that hard work. Um, that we can be successful in a few seats. And that's what it takes. You need to think, of, think in terms of the state legislature as doing a few successful races each, each election, a few here, a few there, uh, where we all can coordinate our effort. Um, and, and I think we can be successful. So I don't mean to sound so pessimistic, but if we leave it to the super majorities in the Senate and the House, uh, no, then I will be pessimistic. We have to take control. The people have to control uh, this whole notion of who selects your legislators. That's awesome. And I want to go back for a minute, uh, you know, about our point of uh, those people who didn't vote, who didn't uh, get registered and or didn't vote. Um, and we, when we think about that in 2022, you know, we will have statewide races um, for U.S. Senate. Um, so that, you know, those people could make the difference in that upcoming race, um, yes. in the uh, Todd Young race. Um, of course, uh, we need, uh, we do have a couple or one person anyway, I know who's filed uh, to run in that race. I'm going to, I'm going to mess up her name. Hanifa Kalik, I believe that's correct, uh, is one candidate, but you know, and I, I suspect we'll have more, but there will be a good Democrat 
Um, and, and those people uh, who didn't vote in 2020 uh, in these urban areas in particular, uh, where there really was low voter turnout, uh, could really make the difference in that race. Absolutely. So, yeah. And so, and then I'm, and I'm glad you have turned to the discussion of the Democratic Party because, um, you know, you are such an expert on this. And again, I so totally agree with your uh, assessment of the uh, coalition building that needs to happen. You're, you know, that was my takeaway from uh, the Georgia uh, uh, effect as well. Uh, and, and of course, we know that that took 10 years to accomplish. Right. Uh, to really flip that state. So you're right, you know, want, you know, few every time, get few more offices every time. That is the, the Stacey Abrams playbook. Uh, and we do need to do that. And so now my question is, um, you are writing the playbook for our new Democratic Party uh, state chair, Mike Schmuel. And what does it say? Oh my. Well, I do have a few suggestions. First of all, I think, um, I think we need to invest more in communications and messaging. Um, the Democrats have been getting smashed in terms of message. Uh, Republicans for years, for decades, have been better at messaging than the Democrats because we tend to uh, want to explain everything and make every people and make people understand every little detail. Um, and I think we ought to do that for those who want. To, to learn. Um, unfortunately, let me, let, me, let me go back a few years and give you this example. Um, the Equal Rights Amendment, and I was very active working on behalf of the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, I lived in California at the time and uh, went all over the state working on the Equal Rights Amendment um, because the Equal Rights Amendment was being ratified at that time by state legislatures. Um, and um, it always drove me crazy because explaining the Equal Rights Amendment to people took forever. I mean, people wrote books about it. it it's very complicated. It's very, you know, it was very far reaching, very comprehensive. It touched every part of our lives. Um, and uh, Phyllis Schlafly, who was opposed, said um, that women, you're gonna have to use the men's bathroom. You know, you're gonna to have to share a bathroom. And so she got it down to that kind of message so that people went, oh, well, I don't wanna do that. Of course, none of those people evidently have flown on an airplane, but be besides that. Um, so the messaging is so important. It, how you translate what it is you're trying to accomplish to people so that they understand it and understand your position and, and can support it is so important. And we have been crushed over the last decade particularly, but maybe even beyond that in terms of how we message and how we communicate. That's external communication. There also needs to be improved internal communication. Uh, between the state party and the people on the ground who who do who who are supposed to be doing the work, the state uh, or the county chairs of the uh, the county central committees, the precinct committee people who often don't get trained and don't have access, or if they have access, they don't want to share it with anybody in the neighborhood, you know, to help them. Um, and so. Uh, in some ways, technology has made everything so much easier, but in other ways, it has uh, it has lessened our load to the play to the point where we are not putting in the hours and the work that it should require. Um, wh when I first ran for office, the voter registration file was on index cards, and uh, and wow. you'd take out an index card, and sometimes you'd have them color coded. You know, uh, this this household is on a blue card, so therefore they must be Democrat, that's a Democrat household. And, and you had volunteers who would hand address mail and, and go door to door. And there was and a, a good precinct committeeman, if somebody moved into the neighborhood, that precinct committeeman was on their front porch, registering them to vote, making sure that they were uh, welcomed and uh, felt a part of the neighborhood. Um, we don't do that stuff anymore. Uh, it's rare. It's rare. Yeah. Um, and so uh, in some ways, technology has taken that personal touch away. 
and uh, and some of that neighborhood uh, house to house, um, family to family neighborhood feel of the Democrat organization has kind of flown the coop. Um, so communication is really important. <clears throat> Second, <clears throat> we need to open the doors, remove all the barriers to young people being more involved in the party. Um, I think that it's starting to happen. I saw in some of the elections um, recently of the um, um, district elections in the, in the state party organization and some of the uh, county elections that <clears throat> that more young people are getting involved. And I really, I really believe, I hope anyway, that those organizations like Emerging Leaders, like Hoosier Women Forward have helped, uh, like your organization, uh, 25 Women and, and others like those around the state have helped let people know what that secret society, at least everybody thought it was a secret society, the Democrat party structure, that, that it's not very complicated at all and that you too can run for offices and you too can have an impact on, on platform, on messaging and those kinds of things. And so a lot of people ran, a lot of young people ran and, uh, and that's a good thing. But there are still some rules that uh, in the party that I think need to be changed to make sure that those barriers are removed and that people feel like they have a say, that they have a part of the party uh, organization. Um, I'll say that, you know, in my experience, you know, um, with 25 mm -hmm. Women for 2020, you know, helping um, uh, those women, most of whom were first time candidates, many of whom were uh, younger, uh, than uh, than your average um, politician, uh, that was what we ran into. We ran into these kind of closed doors uh, at the Democratic Party. Um, you know, when someone thinks about running, everyone says, "Oh, talk to your county party chair," right? Mm -hmm. um, well, these women would do that, and you know, kind of get a pat on the head, and you know, say, "No, that's okay. We got this." Um, and it was really shocking. I mean, it's it's shocking to women. They think that the Democratic Party is their home. Uh, they believe in those principles. Uh, and then to arrive, um, you know, at a meeting with the county chair, who may or may not even return your call, um, and be told, yeah, no, you're not ready, you're not tough enough, um, you know, you got a, you got a young family, hmm. uh, you know, that is really just um, unacceptable. And so, so uh, when you talk about, you know, the county chairs and the precinct committee chairs, and that structure, that's, you know, at the most local level, um, being inclusive and being energetic and enthusiastic and inviting and supportive uh, to young uh, candidates and women candidates. Um, I agree, that's, that's really gotta change. Uh, I, you know, I was working with 29 candidates all over the state. And so I was, uh, you know, I was hearing about <laughs> county chairs from many, many counties, uh, each district, including several counties. Uh, and there was a very pervasive theme uh, in, in that way. And so, um, so yes, that has to change. So we really need to work on that. Um, and I, you know, I'm glad you've got that in your playbook. Okay, what else is in your playbook? Oh my, let's see. What else is in my playbook? Uh, most of it revolves around communications. I think there needs to be more money invested at the local levels. Um, because the party structure at the local levels had faltered in pl some places. Um, now I'm lucky because I live in Monroe County, and you know that's we we don't have that problem. I know, <laughs> but um, uh, we but there are counties where the county structure has uh, has faltered and and there are willing and able people who want to step up and and help um, but the uh, the doors have been closed to them so the state has to figure out ways to share resources now I understand that resources have been slim slim pickings um, in terms of fundraising and so forth but uh, so it's hard to share. It's hard to keep a state organization going when you don't have a whole lot of resources and still share 
with the local uh, units, but I or the local um, party structures. But I but I I do think it's really important, and maybe it's because I've been around long enough that I I can see, I can see the what what has changed and um, and how the the job of precinct committee person has changed over the years, uh, to the detriment I think of the. Uh, of this whole feeling of belonging and belonging to the greater democratic community. Um, yeah. It's more than a party. It is like you yeah. said, so many people identify with the principles of the democratic party and, um, but they may not feel like a partisan, you know, there's, right. there's a difference in my mind. They may not feel like a partisan. And that's what I was talking about when I was talking about Georgia. Um, and how there are non-affiliated groups who, who, um, who the members of which are, are dedicated to um, the, a cleaner environment and, and sensible gun control and um, uh, reproductive rights and you, know, you, you, you name it and um, uh, civil rights and justice reform and you know, I could go on and on, but there are individual groups that aren't affiliated with the Democratic Party but those people will vote Democrat probably, and those people will identify de as Democrat if uh, if they're if if they're included. If if we make uh, the, our com our Democratic community more inclusive, and I think we need to work on that in many in many areas around the state. Um, Oh, I think that's great. And, uh, you know, just going back to your um, to your comments on communication, I just, uh, you know, I want to add uh, another experience in my last year working with these uh, 29 outstanding women all over the state um, was uh, this difficulty that we had in getting our candidates messages uh, to anyone who wasn't already going to vote for them. So part of that, I, you know, I think, you know, as you've mentioned, is the substance, the messaging. And part of it is this, uh, again, you mentioned the technology that has really uh, stolen um, our, our communicative capacity uh, okay. because uh, you know, what we found was that there was this nationally, uh, nationally produced stream of information uh, that was coming straight from the national level to all of, even our, mostly our rural uh, voters um, in the Republican party. Um, and that there was no way for our candidates to break through in getting into that communication stream. And like you also mentioned, um, we would push our um, candidates' opponents to have a, a forum, a town hall, you know, a debate, and it was almost impossible to get one of the Republicans to show up. I mean, they wouldn't even respond um, oftentimes to a newspaper's request for, um, you know, just a buy in information or uh, answer some questions about your platform. Uh, and so our candidates were often like, you know, left out of those forums as well because the newspapers felt like they had to have, you know, two sides. They had to have both people represented. Yeah. And if one wasn't going to participate, then they really were hesitant to put anything out there. So, um, so there was, you know, like you say, I mean, there is this notion, you know, communication is, is more complicated than, you know, than just, you know, chatting and, you know, and putting together mailers. So, right. I mean, I think that's well, something mailers that- Mailers cost money, mailers cost that's money. Right. So any, you know, getting the message out when you're, when you've got access to lots of uh, free opportunities, um, that's one thing, but it's a whole nother ball game when you don't have those opportunities because then you have to buy your, the, the uh, communication and right. that gets very expensive. And that's when the incumbents have all of the advantage, um, particularly when you have a six, even a 60-40 district which is hard to overcome. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it just is, it makes it impossible. Uh, let me add one more thing to the Democrat Party playbook. And that is that I, we have really missed the mark on not being willing to come to step forward and talk about uh, redistricting reform and, uh, and gerrymandering. Um, uh, some of that 
was because it only happens every 10 years. And so it's easy to put it on the back burner. Uh, and then every, you know, a year ahead of time, everybody goes crazy and says, ah, we need to, we need to do something about redistricting reform. Too late, right. <laughs> too late. You, we need to do it every day, every week, every month for 10 years in order to get to get this going. And we need to have the right message. We need to let voters know that they are being disenfranchised by this silliness and that other states are doing it right. And, uh, and so Indiana is the outlier, It's the outlier. And we are being cheated. The voters of Indiana, Republican, Democrat, independent, we're being cheated in Indiana. Because, uh, because we haven't addressed redistricting reform. And there are a few people who keep talking about it and keep, want, you know, keep trying to do it. But the Democrat party should make it part, uh, part and parcel of everything we do, everything we do. And if we don't get anything done this year, and I don't wanna sound pessimistic, but let's just say it's possible that we won't. If we don't get anything done this year, we should start immediately pointing out to the voters that you are being cheated voters mm -hmm. and uh, we need to gather together to make a change so that we can follow the lead as we so often have to do uh, of other states around the nation and find a fairer way, a fairer and more equitable way to draw districts so that they represent the people the voters rather than them choosing their own districts and and the people who they will represent that's not the way it's supposed to work no it uh, isn't so uh i i will say that some of us have been working on this issue for a long time and there were democrats and republicans years ago who wanted to change it and um and there were some democrats who were opposed to it at the time and because there was always the chance that the House of Representatives would have the majority. And so we don't wanna change it because we might be in power or I'm, I'm in an 80% district myself. Why would I wanna change it? Um, and so it was, it was a very difficult thing to get legislators, either party, but particularly now the Republicans since they have super majorities to, to delve into uh, to redistricting reform. And so the people have to demand it. We have to demand it and we have that power. And you know, it's so frustrating to me because I hear people say, ah, it doesn't matter. Doesn't, my, my, you know, my vote doesn't matter. I don't, nobody listens to me anyway. And I still hear it after all these years. And the truth of the matter is, and this is what people need to understand, there is only one thing that people fear, elected officials fear, and that is the voter. That's the only thing they fear. And so if you are quiet, if you don't speak up, if you don't make demands of the people you elect, then they'll do whatever they want to. They'll do whatever they please and they know they can get away with it. But if we stand up, if we, if we demand, if we, if we demand change, then they get scared. Believe me, I know <laughs> they fear voters. And so we have to make sure that they, that they uh, hear from voters um, so that they know what it is we want. I have to agree that at the state level, um, redistricting, um, you know, in, you know, independent redistricting, fair redistricting, nonpartisan redistricting is not going to happen. Um, certainly not in the next um, election cycle. And so, um, so being the optimist, you know, that I try to be, um, I do want to point out the federal legislation that, uh, you know, could possibly get passed if enough people make it happen. Um, and that's the, the uh, bill called For the People Act, right. uh, which requires um, independent redistricting commissions all over the country. Uh, just imagine, uh, just, you know, because we do think, right, that we live in a representative government uh, and, 
we don't know if we cannot get redistricting out of the hands of partisan politicians. So, um, so there is that, and I hope that people will stand up. Of course, as you know, we have two uh, U.S. senators who are Republican and who will oppose it. And so um, if you're looking for a fight, there's your fight. Go and get those guys and make them, you know, make them sorry that they do not believe in representative government. Um, because, and that's the only way we will get there is by independent redistricting. Yes. So, um, so you're absolutely right. And it's not gonna happen in Indiana, certainly not before the next election. Well, I, I, don't, I, you know, we, I can't, can't even imagine the chaos that's gonna be coming in next fall. Uh, because you know the census data will not be released until the end of September, and then there will have to be some sort of um, special session um, that uh, that the legislature creates to approve this whatever we end up with, uh, and then of course the governor has to approve it. Um, and I like to tell people too that you know Indiana does have a veto option. You know if you can convince the governor to veto um, a, a more ridiculous. Um, district map than we have now, then that's a that's a great fight to take on as well. But so imagine, and then January, um, the following January is when filing starts. So people are gonna have to figure out what district they are in <laughs> very quickly and decide if they can run, where they're running, what, you know, what district is available. I just, I can't even imagine what kind of chaos is going to ensue this fall and winter. It's going to be a mess uh, for the 22 election, for sure, particularly uh, in House seats, I would think. Um, but it's um, because those will be the district lines that will matter. But I, I'm just assuming, I think we have to assume uh, that uh, they're not gonna change that much because I'm not sure the population has changed. It may have shifted um, by geographic location. You know, Hamilton County in the last 10 years has exploded. Mm -hmm. So um, there may be more districts there. There may be fewer uh, districts in rural areas that have actually lost population or maybe some of the, uh, uh, some of the, districts in Lake County, I'm not sure because I haven't seen those numbers myself. But I'm just I'm just saying that there are some areas where I think you can you can assume certain things about. I mean they're they're certainly not going to uh, draw lines that kick anybody out of their current districts. There, there's that. Yep, we can yeah. count on that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, for for the districts um, around Bloomington, for instance, I don't think they're going to change very much. City of Bloomington has grown in population. Uh, and I'm assuming that some of the rural areas around us have lost some, but maybe that's not true. I mean, Mo Morgan County, for instance, I think has grown. Johnson County has grown. So I don't, you know, there may be some shifting of population, but overall Indiana's population hasn't changed dramatically in 10 years. Um, so I don't know, it's gonna, it's interesting. Um, it's something we probably ought to sit down and talk about uh, and go over them district by district and try to draw maps around the existing Republican legislators because that you can almost bet that they're going to keep those districts as tight as they can. That's right. And I want to, um, you know, remind you, I know you know about the uh, Common Cause and Julia Vaughn's uh, work to uh, help people draw the maps. Uh, I just think this is just brilliant. And I'm very excited to, you know, get myself into this. And I may, of course, find that I need to create maybe a committee of uh, smart people to help me. Um, but to use the software that uh, they are going to put out there uh, and use the priorities that they have, uh, you that they have found based on their public meetings uh, mm -hmm. that people want to, you know, impose. You know, is it, you know, that we want communities to be together? Is it that we want the districts to be more competitive? Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, an interesting one came up in my in my area's meeting, uh, which was um, who will how many how many districts should touch a precious natural resource? Um, you know, my position was I would like to have as many representatives have a piece of perhaps the Hoosier National Forest or Lake Michigan shoreline or other really precious resources um, uh, in Indiana. I thought that was an interesting one. Um, but 
but we'll come, you know, they'll, they'll collate and, you know, assimilate and put together, um, you know, the priorities that they have found. And then we will all be let loose uh, to go on to the software and create um, districts, create our own maps, how we think they should be done. And this is, um, this is not only important for people to learn and for our legislature to see what other people, the citizens, the voters uh, feel is the best uh, district map, but it uh, also supports another takeaway that I have gotten from learning about redistrict and everything is that there has to be a record of the public uh, opinion about districting um, for uh, lawsuits to go forward, for um, redistricting reform to happen, there really needs to be a record. People need to come forward and you know, talk about redistricting in a way that creates a public opinion record. And mm -hmm. this is just, um, again, a brilliant way to do that. So I'm really looking forward to you know, getting out my pencil or I guess it won't be like that, will it be on the computer? <laughs> used to be like that. Yeah, it used to be a pencil eraser, no. Yeah. Was like that, yeah, yeah. But now it'll be, you know, you'll get your little mouse out and um, and uh, and and draw district lines. Uh, so I'm very excited about that, and I hope that people will really participate. And of course, Julie would um, be upset if I didn't point out that there is a prize for uh, the one that this independent commission feels um, most closely correlates to the statewide developed priorities. So, well, so I'm really looking forward uh, kudos to, to Julia Vaughn, because she's oh one gosh. of those people. I said there were a few people who have not let this go and have just kept pounding away. And Julia is one of those and kept it kept it out in front so so people could access information about it. And and certainly this whole exercise is is fun for people, but it's also very educational. I think people are surprised to find out what a what a. Um, um, uh, process it is, you know, and, and how it works. Um, the, the real process uh, is, happens in a room, you know, with some computers and, um, and in the past they had equal number of computers and everybody had the same software, the Democrats did, the Republicans did. And, um, and certain computers. And then there were a few people from each caucus that would go and work on these computers and come up with the maps. Now with the super majorities uh, in both the House and the Senate, I don't know if they're gonna do it that way. I don't know how they're planning on doing it. But like you say, there's not a whole lot of time once they get the numbers, they're gonna have to turn it around very quickly. And, um, and it will be interesting to see how they do it. But my guess is they're not supposed to do it this way, but I, my guess is that they will mark all the residences, the registered oh, yeah. voter registration, the, regist the voter registration addresses of all of the incumbent Republicans and start from there. That's what I yeah. think they will probably do, even though they'll claim they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and to be fair, I think that's how Democrats did it too. Uh, and that is really how we, you know, why we need to get away from, you know, this partisan redistricting. It's just, yeah. it's just, you know, so destructive to, uh, to government and democracy and, you know, overall. It really so, okay, is. Okay. So we're um, about out of time. But oh. so I would love to ask you by just uh, any parting words of wisdom, um, we are going to put your playbook out there and, you know, <laughs> and I expect that it will be, you know, followed. So anyway, so yeah, so any parting words of wisdom for us? Oh, my. Um, yeah, I've got lots of parting words, but I don't I don't know how much wisdom is uh, is back there. But I, I, I guess I would, would like to say um, uh, not just in honor of Women's History Month, um, but um, but because because I believe it that we need more women to run for office. We need more women to have the confidence to step forward. Don't wait to be asked, you can do this job. Um, you, can, you can be in the legislature, you can serve in Congress, you can serve at the local level, but, you, but don't just run for the top office, plan ahead. I, 
say to yourself, I can do this job. I think I could be a candidate. Um, and I might change my mind later, but I want to prepare now. So learn all you can, learn the issues, local and state and federal issues, be well-read and well-versed so that you can be articulate about those issues. Not hard to do, not difficult, but most of all, and this, I'm, I'm talking a lot to boil down to this, um, always, be prepared for the door to open. Even if you think now that you might not ever run for office, might not be me, which it was me many years ago. Um, I always helped other people run for office and until somebody asked me to do it. Um, but even if you think now that I, I may not run for office, I probably won't run for office, get yourself ready join uh, organizations so that your name is known, so you are known, so you're seen being a, a competent leader. Um, uh, get appointed to boards and commissions so that you learn more about government and how it functions and how it works. Um, and, um, and prepare yourself some self-help tools, learn how campaigns, volunteer for campaigns, um, learn how campaigns are run and, and all the little details and the, the, the finite details that make campaigns successful. Get yourself prepared because you never know. Your circumstances change, the circumstance of the environment around you changes. When that door opens, you want to be ready to walk through if you choose to at that time. So don't, don't have your first thought be, I wanna run for the US Senate. Your first thought ought to be, how can I prepare myself in case that opportunity arises? How do I prepare myself to be the very best candidate I can be and, um, and start today? All right, and I have to add to that because you are the living legacy of this, um, that women should know that there are other great women who will support them, who oh, will help them yes. along the way. Many, so, just ask, <laughs> yeah. just ask. Yeah, women need to know that, I think. That is what I have found. And, and it is true, I, I, you know, I hope women will know that um, there are great women like you who will help them. So, all right, well, thank you again, Vi. It's just been delightful <laughs> chatting with you. I hope we get to do this again. I hope so too. It was fun. Thank you. Right. And happy Women's History Month to, to all of you.